It's time for Talking Michigan Transportation, a podcast devoted to the conversations with people at the forefront of the ongoing mobility revolution. In the state that put the world on wheels, here's your host, MDOT Communications Director, Jeff Cranson. Hi, welcome to the Talking Michigan Transportation podcast. It's Wednesday, October 30th. Not that all the issues we discuss aren't important, but today's topic is especially sobering. Two road workers died in Michigan in a month's time one an MDOT maintenance worker and the other an employee of a private construction firm. The MDOT employee, Kevin White, 48, was clearing large debris from the shoulder of I-94 in Berrien County October 23rd when a passing truck lost tires and one of them struck him. Barry Howes, 54, an employee of Charlotte-based C&D Hughes, died from injuries sustained when a car drove into a work zone late the night of September 23rd and struck him while he was repairing concrete on I-96 near Portland. Both men left behind daughters in college and a host of other loved ones. MDOT and other road agencies devote a lot of attention to work zone awareness, and we are left to wonder what more we can do. We're all in a hurry. We take these folks for granted. But it is because of workers like Kevin and Barry willing to take the risk of doing a job that involves interacting with high-speed vehicle traffic that we're able to have a superhighway system and measure our commutes in minutes. Our hope is that putting a spotlight on these tragedies will remind us all that while we hate to be inconvenienced, the person holding a sign or a shovel, operating a backhoe or a paver, or perhaps inspecting the job, is someone's wife, husband, father, or mother. And that person could be your family member. Joining me to talk about this is Lindsay Renner, Work Zone Safety Supervisor at MDOT. Thanks for coming on, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. So let's start just by talking high level about Work Zone Safety and what you and your colleagues do uh, to try to to make the work zones as safe as possible and also to try to increase awareness of the driving public. Okay, so um, you know, at MDOT we've got we've got people that are local whose primary responsibility to build the roads and also to make sure that they're safe. But then we've got um, Chris and Chuck and Jake who are in my unit and they go out and provide services to basically make sure that a second set of eyes comes on the scene and gets a chance to look at the work zones and make sure that everything is as we expect it to be. So for us at MDOT, we follow the Manual for Uniform Traffic Control Devices, which is kind of high-level speak to say this is kind of our Bible for how we're supposed to um, implement our work zones. And what they're doing is they're looking to make sure that not only is everything clear to a motorist that's driving through, but it's also safe for the people that are behind the drums and the barrels. We want to make sure that everything is legible, that it's clear to someone who's driving through, and that if in the event that something gets hit, it's not dangerous for the people that are beyond and behind so the So how work do you zones. measure that? You go out and drive through one yourself as it's set up and say, and say, you know what, this was not obvious to me at all? Is so that- it's a deep familiarity with what is expected. Um, that's based on, you know, for them, a lot of familiarity with, with the, the subject matter. They've got many years of this um, familiarity with what's in the Manual for Uniform Traffic Control Devices. Now, as crazy as it seems because you can't observe what a screw or a bolt looks like when you're driving down the highway at 45 miles per hour, they're looking to make sure that are the signs sandbagged the way that they're supposed to be? Are they the the size that we would expect? Are the letters on the the signs high enough, tall enough that a, a driver would be able to detect what they're seeing? And ultimately, when they drive through, is it clear enough that you understand what you're being told to do? If you know that you're not supposed to change lanes, do you understand that? If you know that you're supposed to share the road, do you understand that? So they're looking at, you know, several times when they go through, they'll drive it as the driver, as the motorist, trying to figure out if it, if it feels right when they drive through it. And then the passenger seat person is looking for all these minor details. So what happens when they're done is they would take the information that they get and they would have a conversation with the project office and say, 
you know, this is what we, we saw and we really liked, and here's some things that we think you can do to make it a little bit more drivable or a little bit more safe for the people that are driving through here. And that comes in the form of an audit report that they will respond to and make the necessary changes for. So when you talk about this to your family and friends who wonder, you know, what do you do every day? in terms of work zone safety? How do, how do you talk about it? How do you break it down in well, it's, really simple terms? We're really fortunate right now because at the Department of Transportation, um, everybody seems to recognize the importance of this. Like you said, you know, it's it's men and women and husbands and fathers and daughters and sons. And we know that, you know, there's a very real chance that our neighbor or loved one could be, be, out, could be out there. And I've been fortunate to take part in this with the Michigan Work Zone Safety Task Force, which is um, roughly half MDOT and half represented by the contracting community. And we get an opportunity to bounce ideas off of each other. You know, it's really easy if you're behind a desk to make policy that you think makes sense. But if you're on the other side of that, if you're out in the field, it's a totally different thing. So we get an opportunity to hear from the other side, the people who are actually out in it, and see if, it's, if their work zone seems safe. We get an opportunity to take the, you know, the feedback that they have and try to improve. So we've got seven implementation teams, and each one of them is tasked with... Um, Elements of, you know, making sure that our specifications make sense, making sure that we're working with Michigan State Police for work zone enforcement, um, ensuring that, you know, the necessary funding is going to the necessary types of safety devices. We've got a really big think tank of people that, you know, are very passionate about making sure that this happens. If you ask the public, you know, are you concerned about work zone safety, who would say no? I don't think anybody would say no. I think it's a really tough thing for a motorist to make the conscious decision to not endanger the people that they know are on the work zone. So all the I, hands go up. I, when yeah. you say, do you care about work zone safety? Everybody would say, say they do. Do you slow down to whatever the posted speed is when you drive through a work zone? Would the hands still go up? I think they'd like to. <laughs> I think that we've got a little bit of a you know a preference for our cell phones in this society that everybody agrees how important this is when they're standing next to you on the, on the pavement. But the minute they enter their car and they turn the ignition, I think it's really hard to remember that your loved ones are on the other side of that, you know, that construction barrel. That's made out of plastic. That can't protect that person. If you hit that because you're reaching for something, texting for something, you know, on your Facebook or whatever it is that you're doing, you're, you're not in a position where you can make good decisions about the human beings that are on the other so side So I could see that. someone listening saying, I see those concrete barriers that you have set up on some projects. Why don't you just do that? Why don't you protect them with concrete barriers on every work zone? Well, in an ideal world where we had nothing but wonderful weather and you know, an unlimited budget, we would do something like that, except for the fact that some of our operations are mobile and they don't, they, they're not there long enough to justify the expense Especially the when you're doing a lot of temporary fixes, Correct. which is what we do in this Correct. kind of funding environment. I think we've all been out there, you know, and we've observed these men and women working at nighttime doing concrete patching operations. And, you know, they're working under conditions that are, are difficult for them. It's nighttime. They've got distracted drivers. They've got drowsy drivers. Unfortunately, drunk drivers still exist. I think the idea of, you know, what they're subjecting themselves to kind of demands the respect from us that we should be paying attention. We should be treating them like the human beings that they are out there. So, you know, going to that point that most people think they do care about work zone safety, we don't get letters and Facebook posts and tweets about, you know, I drove through a work zone and I don't think it was safe enough. You know, we get, why are you doing this? Why is this project taking so long? Why are you slowing me down? Why didn't you plan better so that, you know, my life isn't disrupted? Right. So I, this, I, I, my hope, obviously, that if something good can come out of, I mean, after going a, a pretty long time without um, any deaths. I mean, for MDOT, it was 11 years since an MDOT employee was killed um, while on the job. That 
having two within a month is is going to get people's attention and make them think about it. But you would hope. I would hope that people that are that are getting ready to go behind the wheel and drive through a work zone, if they would just think a little bit. You know, if you have a son or a daughter, maybe they're not maybe they're not 18, right? But maybe they are going to be 18 and they're going to have a chance to make some money. What if they fall into the construction trade? What if your niece or your nephew falls into the construction trade? Are you driving in a way that you would expect other motorists to drive with their with your loved ones behind the barrels? That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So talk about uh, innovations and things that you think that we've done, um, either at MDOT or, you know, local agencies in the state or even, you know, something we've borrowed from somebody else, which is absolutely fine. If somebody's got a good idea, we're happy to, you know, try it. Sure. So um, one of the things I already mentioned was the creation of the Work Zone Safety Task Force. Um, if you're on Facebook, you can go look up Michigan Work Zone Safety Task Force. It's great for, um, you know, a reminder for us for motorists. It's also great for young drivers because we post some tips up there. Um, it's good to refresh yourself that there are human beings out there. Um, but as far as like actual products that we've, we've been involved with, um, we've got a couple things that are, they're kind of tied with the autonomous vehicles. Um, so as, as those get developed further, we have to have work zones that speak to different areas. And one of the things that we're in our infancy stages of is rolling out things that are called portable changeable message signs that talk to the operation centers. The idea behind something like that is um, basically when you've got a work zone device, it falls into two categories. It's either dynamic, which means that it takes sensor counts of you know, like traffic patterns and um, what the actual roadway looks like, what the ADT is. And then you've got static, which is ultimately just signs. And signs don't change because they're printed, they're screened, you know, they're, they're just, they exist. But a dynamic situation would, you, would allow you to control um, the prompts that are being given to the motorists in a way that allows you to adjust for those high or low condition traffic. Which was the whole idea of right. dynamic so like the flex message route, signs. Right, yeah. the flex route's a good example of that. Um, if you've ever driven US 23 near Ann Arbor there, you, you see um, the fact that we've got one lane that can be turned on or off for high level traffic. Well, this is kind of the same thing as that. Um, many people have probably heard about the zipper merge, right? We've seen a lot of crossover information on that. I want that. to talk more about that later. Yes, okay. definitely. <clears throat> so with something like that, we want to be able to give the, the correct prompts to motorists so that they can make good decisions to not have to make those decisions at the very end. If there's a crash ahead, we want to be able to display that on a message board far enough in advance that you know to not be in the left lane if that's where the crash occurs at. So MDOT is um, working together with our contractor communities to pilot some projects and um, bring on some devices that are going to help us with that. Some of them that'll give us more control from a remote location to allow those kinds of changes to be made. Um, we've, we're working a little bit harder to kind of um, look at some issues that we've got. For example, um, it doesn't happen often, but every now and then you'll have a truck that's exiting a construction site and it's trying to rejoin traffic that's sometimes going 45, 60, 65 miles per hour. And, and just a sign that says, you know, trucks, trucks ahead, uh, trucks doesn't, entering doesn't yeah, do it. It doesn't yeah. work. So we've been um, working on a special provision for trucks entering, which allows us to basically have a sensor and a light that flashes to alert and better draw attention to the motorists so that they can be cognizant of what's entering their roadway. That's a good idea. Um, we're focusing on some new illumination products, uh, just trying to pilot them and see, do they benefit us in any way that it's worth the justification? Um, you know, there's some things that we can do to, to intentionally slow down motorists. And they've proven that by lighting up an area, you can actually kind of control the driver's compliance. So... We're looking at all kinds of things right now. Um, the other thing that I would say is fairly innovative is that we have an opportunity to work with other divisions of state government, that being Michigan State Police. So we're trying to have a really good relationship with Michigan State Police and 
um, kind of have some open discussions about what they need from us to do their job and what we can do better. And if that means providing them a better spot to pull traffic over when they make their stops, or you know, we're we're open to those kinds yeah, of ideas. The last so, thing you want is for that to create its own danger. Correct. Yes, yeah. so. we want to make sure they have the tools to do their job, and we don't create any more issues. So back to the the, the DMS dynamic message signs, mm -hmm. which most people think of as those electronic billboards they see yeah. up on the road and. Um, early on, not as much now, but early on, as states started to uh, deploy those, you know, there were criticisms like, "Why do I need something to tell me that you know it's five minutes to go the five miles, and I already know that?" And, and my argument to that is always that I find that reassuring because that tells me that there's no delays. Right. So I'm glad to know that that it's going to take me as long as I think it should. And if right. it doesn't, if it says something different, then I know something's wrong. And I might, you know, seek a detour. Right now, some parts of the state have more redundancy than others. Sometimes you don't really have a lot of options, so you're just stuck. But we know that's what leads to crashes. We know that's what leads to people taking chances and getting impatient and doing, you know, things that they shouldn't. So the more information that you can provide, yes. I mean, it's it's like sitting on the tarmac when nobody's telling you why the plane hasn't taken off, right? Right. We all feel better if we just have information, and that's the whole idea of the DMS, and that's why I think the Federal Highway Administration was thinking that when these were implemented. And someday we won't need them because that information will be piped directly into our cars anyway. Right. Well, like you said, people get upset when they are delayed. They get upset when the work zones exist in the first place. So giving them some control early on so that they can avoid a potential issue. I would imagine probably everybody does take it for granted when it says that, you know, five miles ahead is a it's a five-minute journey. But they probably would really appreciate it five miles ahead if it was a 35-minute journey and right. they could recalibrate. Exactly. And I think that's the, that's the best use of them is travel times. And you know, detours, something's going on, there's an incident or there's construction, something's going to slow you down. That's what you want to know. And that's the kind of information we should provide. So you mentioned the zipper merge and yes. I wanted to talk about that anyway. Um, a lot of misunderstandings about that. We do. Um, some states have been trying it on a broader level. We've, we've really kind of uh, been kind of narrow in, in terms of where we've used it so far. Um, pretty successful in the, in the Grand Region around Grand Rapids this summer. I know the folks uh, there feel like it's it's worked pretty well. Um, some people really like it. Some people still don't get it. In the book Traffic, which is kind of the you know the quintessential tome on how we drive, the Tom Vanderbilt book, he starts out in his introduction talking about why I'm a late merger and you should be too, and how he got to that point that we're going to maximize capacity and we're all better off if we go and you're not being rude. Minnesota has been trying to educate people on this for ten years and they still find it difficult and they think it's because of Minnesota nice that people think, you know, I can't do that. I'm I'm cutting in line if I if I wait to the last minute. So human behavior is a big part of what you deal with. Human behavior is a big part of it. Um you know with specific to the zipper merge, uh I, I think based on what we saw out of Grand Rapids, I I think that, you know, Michigan, maybe we're maybe we're just not as nice as Minnesota, but we seem to figure it out okay in Grand Rapids area. Well there's um, also West Michigan nice, so <laughs> So, um, but with that one, yeah, that was, you know, we haven't got uh, state policy or guidelines or typicals on that yet, but they are in development. Uh, we have gotten a lot of complaint or compliments from users that indicate, you know, we've been to other states and these work great there. Why aren't we doing the zipper merge here? Right. And I think the thing that we're going to be tasked to do um, is how are we going to educate the public when they enter a zipper merge situation versus a regular merge situation? And why can't you use it Correct. in all applications? So a zipper merge is appropriate for a certain set of road conditions. We would like to see a zippers mer zipper merges happen where you're going from, say, two lanes of traffic down to one lane of traffic. It's not super um, 
applicable if we have a situation where we were going to four lane, from four lanes of traffic down to two. That would just be a log jam without the proper guidance, right? So um, specific lane configurations are going to be more ideal. Specific ADT, which is average daily traffic, is going to be more applicable. Um, and a good example for you, uh, Chris Brooks always says this. It's kind of like, say you went to Disney World, right? And say you were getting a chance to step in line for a ride. If, if there is a thousand people, you have to wait in line and then you go through that little zigzag thing as you get closer to it, right? And you wait. But if you go there and you're the only person in line, there's no reason for you to walk through all of it. You can just go straight through the gates that are open. Well, it's a kind of the same thing with, with a zipper merge situation is that you're basically allowing the traffic flows to, to kind of tell you what to do. Um, if we had you know, 20 cars that travel the roadway segment, it wouldn't be real important that we signed or advocated how they should merge because there won't be any, any situations where they have to take turns. So it's, it's not the right situation for every single scenario that we have. So the important message to get out is that in Michigan, not all merges are zipper merges. Right, but the vast majority of our freeways are four-lane freeways, meaning that you're working on one side or the other, so you're going from two to one. Correct. Now, obviously, in metro areas, we have some that are three or mm -hmm. even more, but for the most part, that's where it's applicable and that's where it works. But you still have people that think that, you know, I'm going to get over right away, and if somebody doesn't, they're being rude, and you've got truckers that do the vigilante thing and straddle yep. the lanes to try to keep anybody from going around. Yep. And I um, saw that this summer on I-96. You're not the first person to tell me that. Actually, we had a meeting with um, State Representative Ryan Barrett, who was very concerned about this. He's out in Oakland County, and he's actually considering some legislation that, that actually handles that vigilante truck driver situation that makes it so that if you're capable of sharing your lane, you do, and it's ticketable otherwise. It's not in law yet, but it is proposed. Well, it's already illegal to drive in two lanes. Right. So... That, that would, uh, I guess, add more emphasis yep. is the idea, yeah. Um, okay, well, um, I think that uh, we'll be eager to see that, and I think this is something that uh, you or Chris or somebody else from your area will want to talk about further because I think there's a lot of interest in, sure. the, in the zipper merge. Is there anything else you want to leave people with when it comes to you know work zone safety and awareness and what you think they should be thinking about? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess what I would say is just it sounds kind of contrite, but just pay attention, right? We've... Um, We've got a lot that we're doing to try and protect motorists, but I think it's, or to protect the construction workforce, but I think it's important to recognize that as a motorist, you have just as much, if not more, risk of being involved in a crash as a person who's in a construction site does. That's um, a really good point. You should be considering that the life that you save might actually be your own in a situation like that. When I was young and I got the keys to my first car, my dad said something along the lines of, a vehicle is the biggest weapon that you'll ever drive. And, um, you know, I think that putting new emphasis on the people who are in the work zones, uh, there's that whole phrase that when you know better, you do better. Well, if you're listening to this, then you know better. You've heard. Um, you know, just play, pay attention out there because it could be your neighbors, your loved ones. It might be your future children out there someday, and, and you will wish that people acted compliant. Yeah, I think that's a really good message to leave people with. Well, thanks, Lindsay. Thanks yeah. for talking about this. Thank you for having me. All right, so our second guest today is Craig Ennis, who is an MDOT construction engineer in the Bay region, which is based in Saginaw and includes, uh, you know, Flint, Saginaw, Bay City, Midland, that area. And uh, Craig had a very personal experience, really a, a, a near miss uh, that could have been much worse, very dramatic back in 2016. So, Craig, thanks for taking time to talk with us. Yeah, no, no problem, Jeff. So, um, why don't you take us back to that day and what you were doing and the incident and just kind of lay out how things went down. Well, at, at the time, I was an assistant construction engineer at the, the Davison T. 
TSC, and we had a, an ongoing maintenance project. We were just repairing some bad pavement on I-69 through the city of Flint, and I was going out to mark out some pavement repair areas on the, the southbound I-475 to um, I-69 ramps, uh, right, kind of right in the middle of the city of Flint, and I was off on the shoulder, um, kind of marking out areas on that paved shoulder so that I wasn't, you know, going out in the lane because all the work was being done at night. And next thing I knew, I, I heard squealing tires. I looked up and saw a Chevy Impala fishtailing down the down the ramp. And my first instinct was just to to run to 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 get away. And the vehicle continued to veer off towards me. I kind of tried to jump and dive at the last minute when I realized I wasn't going to be able to get out of the way. And the vehicle struck me and then went on to strike a, a bridge abutment, uh, my my MDOT vehicle, and ended up over on the other side of the ramp disabled. Um, so, And so... There, it wasn't. It was September, so it wasn't icy. Was it? Was it wet? No, that was the thing. Is that I knew this was a a busy area. I mean, it, it's a freeway to freeway interchange. So I intentionally went out there. It was a Tuesday morning, ten thirty in the morning. It was clear, dry. I, I tried to you know pick what I thought was a one of the best times to be out there to not disrupt traffic uh, to be able to do my job is as safely as possible and and this still happened and I, I think that just goes to show that you never know when or where something can happen um yeah you do yeah. everything you can to minimize the risk but you can't wipe it out entirely that's for sure and there can be you know issues with uh, you know vehicles have you know mechanical issues it can be distracted driving you, you never know when something's going to happen. Uh, so I think the, the biggest lesson I took out of my incident was to make sure you're alert at all times. Don't get complacent when you're out working along the road. And the, the second thing I took was to make sure that wherever you stop, wherever you're working, have, a, have an escape path, if at all possible. Have a somewhere to run to. Don't, don't get yourself in between your vehicle and a guardrail or a couple of vehicles um, have have somewhere to go if if you're fortunate enough like I was to have those few seconds to you know try to try to get out of the way make sure you you have a place to get out, get out of the way too so you you jumped in the air and the the car did hit you kind of hit your right leg and flipped you over but you you landed pretty much away from the vehicle, it sounds like, but you still suffered some injuries, right? Yes, I, I was picked up uh, by ambulance, and I had uh, some bruises and cuts, and I, at the time I thought my, my leg was broken. I was fortunate that it wasn't. I was, from my from my knee to my ankle, was, uh, you know, severely bruised, and it... Um, you know, I'm not gonna tell you it didn't didn't hurt, and it, it did. <laughs> sure, um, it, hurt. it hurt a lot. <laughs> yeah, it. Uh, like I said, I, my first first call was a 911. Uh, second call was to my my wife, and I told my wife I I think my leg's broken. Um, 
uh, and like I said, fortunately, it, it wasn't. I feel very, very lucky that I was able to, uh, no pun intended, walk away from this incident without any serious debilitating injuries because th- that vehicle veers, you know, a little bit one way or the other, or if I would have been in a slightly different position from, from what I was or if I wouldn't have jumped, uh, it wouldn't have turned out like it did. And the driver fled on foot, and did they ever get the driver? They did not. That's incredible. Like, yeah, the, the driver actually, he, he, a couple of motorists stopped right away. The, the driver came over to us, and he, I was kind of laying down in the, the gravel um, shoulder of the, the ramp, and he said, did I hit you? And I said, yeah, you hit me. And at the time, I was on the phone with 911, and the next thing I got off the phone and I asked one of the motorists, I said, you know, where did the driver go? And she said, oh, he, he ran up the embankment. I, I'm not sure where he went. Wow. Well, what do you, I mean, you talk about this and probably advise, especially younger people starting out that are working in the field, and I think probably the best advice is what you said, always have an escape path, you know, always think about worst case scenario, what do I do if this happens, but but beyond that, in terms of work zone safety and and trying to remind people that, you know, as we discuss a lot, we're all in a hurry, uh, we come upon road work, you know, we'd already counted on 10 minutes to get someplace and we're already five minutes late and you see barrels and people in vests and trucks with flashing lights. I mean, what do you you say to someone to help them put it in perspective? Uh, I think the best thing, what I tell people and tell, you know, whether it's my friends or family or the general, general public is that everybody out there is somebody's parent, brother, sister, and it might be somebody that a uh, parent of, a, you know, somebody your kids go to school with. Uh, they're all people out there, and we want everybody to go home safe at the end of the day to their, their families. So slow down, um, you know, be alert. Put the put your cell phones out of reach and just, uh, you know, follow follow what the guidance that we have out there as far as the signs and the speed limits and, and just, you know, be safe. We... Just like everybody, you know, every one of those drivers wants to go home safely, and at the end of the day, to their family, every worker out there wants that same thing. Very well said. I think we'll end it there, Craig. Thanks for sharing your story. Yeah, no problem, Jeff. Once again, thanks for listening to the Talking Michigan Transportation podcast. I hope there was something here that we could all learn from in terms of work zone safety and being cognizant of those people that are doing the road work and putting themselves in harm's way. That's a wrap for this edition of Talking Michigan Transportation. Check out show notes and more on SoundCloud or by subscribing on Apple Podcasts.